the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for joining me on the show this weekend. We still have winter among us. It is just not wanting to go away, is it? Uh, And unfortunately, very sadly, many in Texas are still struggling with the aftermath of the terrible storms that they've suffered throughout the state with millions of people affected and still so many without power, without water, without clean water and so on. Uh, And you've heard about the crisis in in the state of Texas as a result of the uh, power failures and the resulting shocking electricity bills. And you might be wondering, and if you're not wondering, you frankly ought to be wondering, could that happen to you? We've heard stories of Texans shockingly receiving, I shouldn't say shockingly when we're talking about electrical power, should I? But we're receiving unexpectedly bills of hundreds, even thousands of dollars for electricity. And people are wondering, how did that happen And could it happen to you elsewhere in the country? So let me explain to you what has happened in Texas, what led to this mess to help you decide if you're at risk and what you ought to do about it to reduce that risk that might exist. First, we need to understand that Texas has been acting in an unusual way compared to the other states in the country. Texas has a deregulated electricity market. They created this system 20 years ago, and the state requires about 60% of all Texans uh, are under this requirement that they have to buy electricity, not from the local utility, which is probably how you do it, but they have to buy electricity from a retail power company. Well, why would they do this? Why would they deregulate? Well, the same reason that the government deregulated stock commissions uh, back in 1975, which created the discount brokerage environment. You know, prior to so-called May Day in 1975, all stock brokerage commissions were uniform. They were regulated. Whether you went to Merrill Lynch or UBS or any other brokerage firm, you paid the same commission to buy and sell shares of stock. Airlines were regulated. It didn't matter what airline you went to. The price you paid for a seat was the same. And the government deregulated that. We deregulated telephones over time. And the concept of deregulation is to create competition and allow the capitalist market to work so the consumers get choice and you can choose between low price or high quality and encouraging companies to compete uh, on a variety of ways. So Texas deregulated the electricity market, creating retail power companies. And the whole point of this was that it was to give people the opportunity to get their electrical power at a lower price. Well, here's one little footnote in the aftermath of this crisis in Texas. The Wall Street Journal did a thorough analysis and discovered that over the last 20 years, 
this has failed. Texans have paid not less for their power. They've paid $28 billion more. But that's a sidebar. Let's talk about the situation. You've got a deregulated marketplace. You buy your power from a power company that you choose to hire. And then the storms hit. Gas pipelines froze. Wind turbines froze. As a result, there was less power available, but very high demand. Well, what do you have happen when you have a big demand but limited supply? You guessed it, prices rise. And that's what happened. The wholesale price went from 12 cents per kilowatt hour. What's a kilowatt hour? Well, the average home uses about 1,000 kilowatt hours a month. Well, at 12 cents, that's about 120 bucks. Sound about right, what you pay for your home electricity? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, kind of routine we deal with that. Well, in Texas, it went from 12 cents per kilowatt hour to $9. In other words, instead of a bill of 120 bucks, the bill was now $9,000. Can you imagine? And here's what's even worse. People had no idea this was happening because, you know, the price skyrocketed, but you haven't gotten your bill yet. So you don't even realize that your price has skyrocketed. And compounding it even more, many people have their electricity bill on auto pay. Do you do that with your mortgage, your cars, your water and your electricity and your gas bill, your phone bill, your cable bill? It's so much easier, isn't it? Why write checks every month? You just set up auto pay because you know what the bill is every month. You know, your car payment, your mortgage payment, those are the, literally the same every month. And even your utilities are pretty much the same every month, give or take a few bucks. So put them on auto pay, make it simple, make it easy. Well, people had their electricity bill on auto pay. And when the bill went to $9,000, the power company just yanked that nine grand right out of people's checking accounts without you even knowing it. Well, a lot of folks didn't have the nine grand in their checking account, which means they were suddenly in overdraft mode, paying big fees to their banks. Others who did have the cash had the money vacate the bank account, and now they've run out of the cash. They might have needed that money for other bills to be paid or for their cash reserves or what have you. What a crisis. Because all of it happened before people even realized what was going on. Scott Willoughby of Dallas, he told the New York Times that his bill was $16,752. Lisa Curry, her bill, normally $250, was $9,546. And that was for a three-week period, not even the entire month. Lisa wasn't going to sit still for that. She's filed a class action lawsuit of a billion dollars, accusing her power company of cashing in on a natural disaster. Aubrey Jacob of Houston, he got a bill for $560 for one day. This is, you have to laugh because it's so inconceivable. How could this be? Well, how could this be? Well, it's real simple. A lot of these power companies, and I'll bet your power company too, gives you a choice as to the monthly bill you're going to get. You can go on a fixed rate plan. Or you can choose a variable rate plan. What's the difference? Well, on a fixed rate plan, your monthly bill will be the same each and every month, just like your car payment or your mortgage payment. It's the same amount every month. This forces the power company to figure out, well, how much are you going to be paying over the full year? What, what should they be charging you? They figure it out and they hit you with a monthly amount that they're comfortable will cover the full year's costs 
and you're comfortable is a number that is acceptable to you. So the fixed rate plan, the good news is it never changes. The bad news is it's probably going to be higher than necessary because the power company is kind of hedging its bet to make sure that they're not going to end up with a shortfall. So the good news of the fixed rate is predictable. The bad news is it's a little more expensive than necessary. And that's why some people opt for the variable rate plan. Your power company gives you the option of saying, we'll bill you month by month based on what you actually spend. It literally varies month to month. So that way, you're only paying what it really costs, which is very well maybe less than the fixed rate plan. Also, if energy prices fall, you'll get the discount. Fixed rate plan, you wouldn't get any benefit. If you like the freedom and flexibility, if you don't want to be locked into a contract, if you think you might move within a year, the variable rate plan might be better for you. Or so the sales pitch goes. And what I just described to you is the way they describe this on many of these power company websites. So here people are. They chose the variable rate plan, confidence that it might vary within a couple of bucks one way or another here or there each month to month. They go on auto pay to make life simple and convenient and easy. And no one had any notion that there might be a storm of a century causing massive surges in electricity costs, hitting people in a variable rate auto pay plan that they're going to get a bill for thousands, perhaps even tens of thousands of dollars. And oh, by the way, this crisis didn't just hit residential homeowners. It equally hit the cities of Texas. The city of Denton says that they now face tens of millions of dollars to finance their electricity charge for the municipality itself. And Brazos Electric Power Cooperative, the largest and oldest in Texas, has now filed for bankruptcy, citing a disputed $1.8 billion dollar bill. Can this happen to you? Make sure that you are on a fixed rate plan with your utility providers. That's the single best way to help you protect yourself against the risk that you might get hit with a surcharge. And second, make sure you're comfortable with an auto pay on a bill that isn't the same every month. If you're on a variable pay, don't choose auto pay. If you're on a fixed rate plan, auto pay is probably okay. I'm Rick Edelman, and you're listening to The Truth About Money. Named by Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country, this is The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Here's a bit of news for you. If you speak Spanish, the IRS, for the first time ever, is making the tax returns, the IRS 1040, available in Spanish for the first time ever. And if Spanish isn't your language and neither is English, maybe it's one of any other 20 different languages, you can file Schedule LEP if you want the IRS to write to you in any of those 20 different languages. 
pretty clear evidence that we are, in fact, a bilingual country, or I should say multilingual country, more than ever before. Hey, I had a fascinating email dialogue with uh, one of our listeners in this past week, and it was a sad conversation, and I I think it's worth sharing with you because it just struck me as representative of the challenges that we're having in our country with the divisiveness that we see so prevalent. Sandra wrote to me, she lives in Michigan, and she said, Rick, I am sick to death of these callers calling in to brag about how much money and how many investments they have accumulated. I usually turn off my radio when these callers come on. Well, I responded to Sandra, and I I tried to explain. I said, Sandra, these callers are not bragging. They're troubled. They've got problems. Oh, for sure, their problems are a lot better than the problems most other folks have. You've heard me say this often. Money doesn't solve problems. It just creates new ones. And I get it. You know, a lot of folks wish they had the kinds of problems that wealthy people had. I mean, the problem of how do you manage your millions is a whole lot better of a problem than how do I pay my rent? I I certainly get that. And I don't mean to be cavalier uh, about it at all. And I get that you wish that these folks would stop complaining about their challenges. I don't know whether my kids should go to Yale or Harvard. I, should I drive uh, a, you know, a brand new car or should I get a used car? I, I get that you wish they would stop complaining and just be happy with their money. And I want to assure you, these folks do recognize their good fortune. They, they realize that the questions they're asking, the dilemmas they're having are a whole lot better than the alternative dilemmas that so many others are struggling with financially. It's kind of like one of my favorite lines from Joe Walsh. I can't complain, but sometimes I do. Usually, though, uh, these folks, their money is a result of hard work, delayed gratification, and willingness to take considerable risk. They want to make sure that they're managing their money wisely and prudently, and they don't want to lose it out of carelessness or, or a scam. They know that it takes a lifetime to accumulate money, but they can lose it in a day. And that is a scary thought. And so I said to Sandra, these folks are not bragging, I assure you. And Sandra replied to me, and she said, Rick, if they have managed all this time to accumulate what they have and to retain it, Surely they can manage to continue. They record their phone call just so they can replay your congratulations. Well, I was really concerned about Sandra's reply. The fact that I sometimes award listeners with my applause of the day is because, in my view, these folks have overcome adversity. They have engaged in extreme effort to achieve a level of success that most of us, if not all of us, aspire to, but which few are successful enough at attaining. And to suggest that folks are calling merely so they could brag and get that pat on the back, I I think is really misguided. And as I explained to Sandra in my response to her second email, I, I said, Sandra, these folks have not been managing the money they have throughout their lives. For most of these folks throughout their lives, they've had no money to manage. Suddenly, they find themselves with money to manage and they're freaked out about it. They don't know what to do about it. They're facing issues and situations and decisions they've never had to confront before, and they are ill-prepared to do it, and that's why they're reaching out for help. For most of these folks, they devote their lives to saving a little bit of every paycheck, 
And after 40 years of doing that, diligently, dedicated, they suddenly realize that they have a net savings worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Usually that money has been locked up in a pension plan or a 401k plan. And now they're retiring. And suddenly their money is available to them. In fact, in many cases, their money is outright given to them. They're told, choose, do you want the money monthly or do you want a single lump sum? And they're forced to make a decision and no one has given them guidance on how to make the decision. They've never had to face this before. And this is hundreds of thousands, sometimes even a couple of million dollars. They have no experience managing money. They don't know what to do. And they're scared that they're going to lose this money through inexperience, ineptitude, or, or outright fraud. Or maybe their parents have died and left them some money. Maybe they receive stocks that they know nothing about. Or a house mom and dad left them. A house maybe they've even grown up in. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to manage it. Should they keep it? Should they sell it? Should they rent it? How do you do any of those things? Or maybe they were in a bad car accident and an insurance company sent them a million dollars. They need this money to pay for their future surgeries and medical care. How do they protect this money so it's there for them? These people aren't bragging. These people aren't showing off. They're dealing with an issue. They're fortunate to have this issue, but it's still an issue and it's still got to be resolved. Your unwillingness, Sandra, to consider their circumstances is frankly, I think, what's holding Sandra back. Instead of trying to understand these people, she's just negatively belittling them. And I think our nation's mess, in large part, is due to the fact that no one seems to be willing to consider the experiences and views of other people. We need to break that chain, and Sandra can do that starting now. Walk a mile in their moccasins to understand their lives. And it concerns me greatly when people look at their own lot in life and decide that I'm going to be bitter about my circumstances and not be happy and glad for others who are more fortunate or more successful, often due to their hard work and effort. And it concerns me that we are in that kind of a thought process. Consider this for yourself as you are dealing with your own evaluation of your circumstances and how you got where you got. What is it you can do instead of looking at folks who are successful and denigrating them and bashing them, wanting to tax them? Instead, ask, how can I be like them? How can I accomplish what they've accomplished? They're not better than me. They're not smarter than me. They're not more deserving than me. But perhaps they did things I didn't do. Maybe they worked harder. Maybe they self-sacrificed. Maybe they engaged in delayed gratification. Maybe they did things in their lives that I have not done in mine. What is it that they did? What are their habits? What are their behaviors that I can emulate, that I can learn from, so that I can be in the future what they have achieved? That's the American dream. Let's lift each other up. Let's look to role models instead of trying to tear them down. We need to fix this. We need to work together as a nation. We need to recognize we all come from different circumstances, different experiences, different upbringing, and different values. This radio show, my entire career, is devoted to helping you improve your situation. And it really is upsetting that rather than seeing the opportunity, seeing that as others have achieved it, therefore so can I, some instead choose to say, I'm tired of their bragging and I'm going to shut off the radio. I'm Rick Edelman, and I hope, Sandra, that this message has been of value to you. 
You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. You know, we often talk about exponential technologies and the latest innovations. Check this out. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. A construction company in Dubai has built a building three stories high, 6,900 square feet, and they constructed it with a 3D printer. One printer, one crane, and three workers. 3D printing is becoming a really big deal. In fact, let me ask you this. Why do people return clothes that they bought online? Well, wrong size, bad fit, right? That's a pretty uh, common reason. It annoys customers. It's costly to retailers. Women's sizes range from 00 to 18, but there's no standardization. Imagine if scales operated that way. So here come 3D body scans. They measure you and make the clothes to fit you with less than 1% variation. 3D printing, it's definitely coming to a home near you very soon. I'm Rick Edelman. You need help understanding exponential technologies. What are big data, 3D printing, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, blockchain, and crypto? How does all this stuff work? What does it mean for you? Give us a call at Triple H Plan Rick. Read my New York Times business bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, which describes all of these technologies and explains the impact on your personal finances. The Truth About Your Future is available at Amazon.com and your favorite bookseller. I'm Rick Edelman, Triple H Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. <laughs> For free articles on personal finance, sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. There was a survey just recently done of 2,000 Americans with some astonishing findings. 26%, one out of four Americans, say they would rather talk politics with someone they disagree with than do financial planning with a family member. <laughs> I mean, that just strikes me as kind of amazing. What, people will seem to do anything to avoid financial planning. 20% say they'd rather spend an hour in jail than get a financial plan. 16% say they'd rather sit through a steamy sex scene with their parents than tell them about their biggest financial blunder. 27% of Americans would rather be stung by a bee than move to a new bank. And 32%, one out of three, would rather go to the DMV than get a financial plan. I mean, really? <laughs> what am I? Chop liver is really, are we that awful? Is the financial planning process that distasteful? I think what it comes down to is that folks are very self-conscious about their situation. Let's face it, you're embarrassed. You think you have too much debt. You think you don't have enough savings. You think you're spending money frivolously or frankly worse, you think others are going to think that and you don't want the judgment. You don't want to have to sit there in front of an advisor who says to you, you're a slob, you're lazy, you're doing it all wrong. Look at the mistakes, how you've squandered opportunity. Look at blah, 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 No, I mean, there is no financial planning professional I know of who would treat you that way. And it's not merely an issue that 
you know you need to spend less and save more. It's, that's not it at all. I mean, it's sort of like why people don't go to the doctor. Why well, go to the doctor? He's just going to tell me to quit smoking, start exercising, eat less, and get better sleep. I mean, why do I need to pay a physician to have her tell me that? Well, it's much beyond that. The reason you go to a financial advisor is simply because there are things about your personal finances that you don't know. Then you don't even know that you don't know. We can show you how to tweak some of the things you're doing, some of the opportunities in front of you that can help you without any significant effort or time or money, help you to save more and to accumulate more assets. It's really that simple. We can show you how to take better advantage of your employee benefits at work. We can show you how to save money on things you're already spending money on. We can show you how to have an easier time dealing with your taxes. We can show you how to better protect yourself and your family and ease your anguish and create peace of mind when it comes to estate planning or insurance or any of the fundamental issues that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And by extension, we can probably show you how to accumulate more wealth and we'll do it non-judgmentally. We don't really care as financial planners how you got where you are, unless what got you where you are is perpetuating your current circumstance, meaning if you're being a spendthrift and that's interfering with your ability to save, it's creating a lot of debt. Well, then, yeah, we'll show you how to break those habits and how to do things a little differently. But other than that, if you've got a bunch of money in credit card debt, so what? Okay, great. You got a bunch of credit card debt. Let's deal with that and move forward. We're not going to berate you for what you did that got you where you are. We're not historians. We're also not psychologists. We are planners, which means we focus on the future. So all we care about is where are you right now and where is it you want to go? Very often, in fact, people don't even know where they want to go. And we're pretty good at helping you figure that out too. Figuring out what the goals are that you want to set and then showing you a practical, tangible, achievable way to achieve those goals. It's really that simple. So I hope you'll not put financial planning in the context of spending time with people that you'll argue with or an uncomfortable circumstance with your parents and the video that you happen to be watching or spending an hour in jail or getting stung by the bee or, heaven forbid, the stereotypical visit to the DMV. Oh, and by the way, if you don't do that, then you might end up doing something different, which is trying to get rich quick, following some trend, following some hot tip, doing what your friends are doing merely because they're doing it without understanding why. And of course, now what I'm talking about is GameStop. You know the story. We've been talking about it ever since that broke in January. And now we have some new data. Robinhood is now facing 50 lawsuits over the GameStop frenzy. We'll see how that all shakes out. Lots of investigations ongoing. The SEC Treasury Department, the Fed, state regulators, Congress holding hearings. We'll see how it all shakes out. But here is one piece of data that has already come out from one analysis. And this helps to answer the question, why do we keep talking about this? It's real simple. Do you know how many Americans bought GameStop in January during the frenzy? Nine percent of U.S. adults, nearly one out of 10 
were sucked into this situation. 8% invested more than $5,000. By the middle of February, when the stock crashed, falling over 90%, it wiped out $20 billion of equity. So this is why we're talking about it, because it affected so many millions of Americans, people who thought they were going to be able to get rich quick, ride a wave that couldn't possibly go bad. And as we all know, as I warned you during the crisis, I said to you, during the escapade, I said to you, this is going to end badly. And in fact, it has. And now we see the SEC taking action against the next round of game stops out there. The SEC has just suspended trading in 15 public companies because of questionable social media activity. Babita Beverage Company, Blue Sphere Corporation, eHouse Global, eVenture Interactive, Eyes on the Go, Green Energy Enterprises, Helix Wind Corp, International Power Group, Morani Brands, Media Techniques Corp., NetTalk.com, Patent Energy Solutions, PTA Holdings, Universal Apparel and Textile Company, and Wisdom Homes of America. Have you heard of any of those stocks? I sure hope not, because it appears that they were engaged in the kind of activity that created the GameStop debacle. And it's not just those high-flying, esoteric, thinly traded penny stocks that sometimes get people caught up in bad investment decisions. It's sometimes a bit more mainstream, and the SEC has just issued an investor bulletin regarding ESG funds. ESG? Environmental, Social, and Governance. This is a new trend, a new hot fad where a lot of people are emphasizing you should only buy stocks of companies that do well within their environmental policy or their social policy or their internal corporate governance. Well, the SEC's investor bulletin warns that these factors are often not defined in securities laws. They may be subjective. And in fact, they may even be defined in different ways by different mutual funds. The SEC, in fact, has no rating or score for E or S or G. There are private companies that do ratings, but they use different factors, and those factors offer differ significantly from each other. So one company might get a good rating for environmental, while another company rates them poorly on environmental. And in fact, some funds don't brag about ESG at all, but they still use ESG in their methodology. Some portfolio managers' practices regarding ESG might significantly influence the performance. It could also influence their costs. So if you're going to consider making an investment in a fund because of its ESG focus, the SEC says you need to ask some questions. To what extent does the fund's focus on ESG take precedence over more traditional factors? How does the fund weight each of the three ESG factors. Do they do it equally or do they put more emphasis on some than others? And how do the fund's fees compare? Keep in mind that dealing with ESG can be a confusing and complicated issue in investment management. And you want to make sure that you're not caught up in the frenzy buying an ESG fund simply because it's getting a lot of attention in the financial trade press any more than you want to get caught up in the next 
GameStop frenzy. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Triple Eight Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Let's go to the telephones here on The Rick Edelman Show up to St. Charles, Missouri. Terry's with us on the air. Welcome to the program, Terry. How can I help you today? Yeah, uh... I see the amount I need to save for retirement all the time, but most of my money is in a Roth. Does that not mean I need less money than other people since it won't be taxed? Maybe. Then I've got a second part to it. Also, my wife gets a $50,000 a year pension. How does that figure in the amount needed for retirement? Can we figure that at, say, 500000 since she's likely to live that long? You mean in terms of how much money you're eventually going to collect over time from your wife's pension? Yeah, exactly. I always see these figures saying that you need a million dollars or whatever. And I, I have trouble because of the Roth. Like, what's my Roth savings actually worth? Is it worth one-third more? What can I figure my wife's pension at? Got it. Yeah, you're asking the right question, Terry. And, and that's why we need to throw away these rules of thumb and all this you know, shorthand effort to summarize how much money you need to save in retirement. The answer is different for everybody. It all comes down to how much money do you need to sustain your lifestyle? So let's start there. Let's pretend you were to retire today. How much money would you and your wife need to spend to maintain your lifestyle? Per year, um, perhaps Sixty, seventy thousand. I mean, we don't live extravagantly. Our house is basically paid for. So let's call it seventy grand. I'll take you at your word. We usually discover, by the way, that people underestimate it, but we'll go with what you said: seventy thousand dollars a year. Now that is after tax because that's what you need to spend to sustain your lifestyle. That means if you only get seventy grand in income and you have to pay taxes on the seventy grand, you end up with less that you can spend. So we have to gross up the number for taxes. And that means we have to take a prediction on what tax rates are going to be. And of course, who knows what that number is going to be by the time you retire. Let's assume, though, just for the sake of conversation, that we're going to deal with a uh, 25% tax rate, just to, just to pick a number. So if you're going to spend $70,000, then that means you're going to need to have uh, an income. Let me just do some fast math here for you. That means you're going to need about $93,000 so that you can net $70,000 after paying taxes. Does that make sense? Yes. So you've got 50000 from your wife's pension. That's toward the 93000 that you need. So that means you're $43,000 short. Are either of you going to be eligible for Social Security? Yeah, we both will be. And do you have an idea of how much you're going to receive? Have you looked on your Social Security website to see what your projected benefit will be? I have, but I don't have that figure in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm going to bet it's around $1,500 to $2,000. The average check is about $1,400, uh, Higher income uh, Americans are earning, obviously, more from Social Security. Let's pretend between the two of you that you're going to collect 3000 a month, which is $36,000 a year. That means that you're short by only seven grand. You've got how much money in your Roth savings? 
probably just under 300000 So if you've got $300,000 in the account and you only need to withdraw 7000 well, that is a withdrawal rate of about 2% per year. That is easy. In other words, if you withdraw 2 2.5% per year from the account, you'll get the 7000 you need. Add that to your Social Security and your wife's pension. You've got all the income you need. In fact, I would argue that you could withdraw a lot more than just seven grand out of the account. It's common for people to withdraw 4% per year from an account. And that would be, you know, if you were to withdraw 4%, that would be $12,000 a year. That would boost your income over a hundred grand a year pre-tax, giving you an increase in your lifestyle. I may have underfigured, but I mean, you know, I, I'm sure we would like to travel and do some things like that. No question about it. Uh, so just this back of the napkin quick set of math is basically telling us that you and your wife are in excellent financial condition. And what you need to be doing now is maintain your position through your rest of your working career so that you, in fact, get to retirement the way you want. There are a lot of factors we want to play with. For example, how many more years between now and retirement? How much are you continuing to save? Uh, how much are you going to be earning in those savings between now and retirement? In other words, what I've just laid out assumes no more savings and no more growth on your Roth account. Well, that's not realistic. You're continuing to save and you're continuing to earn a return on those accounts over years. So I think you're in great shape. My 30-second math is not bad, but two-hour math will be better Two-week math will be even better yet. In other words, meeting with a financial advisor who can go through a more thorough analysis for you, who can evaluate all of the issues in great depth, will be able to come back to you with a complete set of calculations to show you how much money you need to save between now and retirement, what the rate of return needs to be on those savings, and how long you need to keep working in order to be able to retire in financial security. That advisor might even say to you, you can probably retire anytime you want. And you may be able to retire sooner than you thought. That'd be great. So I would encourage you to meet with a financial advisor who can do that set of calculations for you. That's what a financial plan is all about. Um, we'd be happy to do it for you. We've got offices not far from you in both Chesterfield and Clayton. Um, so come to see us. Go see somebody. There are great financial planners throughout the country and not far from you where you live. So talk to somebody. You might even talk to a couple of somebodies to get a couple of opinions, and that way you can compare and contrast the advice you're getting. Okay. Terry, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. That was Terry here on the Rick Edelman Show. You can do what he did. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Time once again, everybody's favorite segment. Visit by my wife, Jean Edelman, founder here at Edelman Financial Engines and a degree in consumer economics, macrobiotic cooking expert, extraordinaire with a degree in nutrition as well. Jean, always good to have you back here. Thanks, Rick. Hi, everybody. Great to be back this week. So this week I was thinking about our ABCs. Always be curious. When we're curious, we're learning. And when we're learning, our mind is open to what is new. Our mind is aware of changes. And our mind is allowing what can be. When we stop being curious, we become a little rigid, stagnant, and stuck. We're in better health when we're curious because we're fluid and we're flexible. With spring on the way, it might be nice to choose three areas to practice being curious. 
I thought I'd start the conversation because I do think if you sit down and think about it, you'll come up with your own three. But I'll give you my three. The first area is our food. With farmer's markets soon being open, how about we try a different vegetable? We tend to get into routine and ruts with our cooking. And the beauty of the season is that the vegetables change. And by eating with seasonal changes, we create flexibility and fluidity. And our health will be in more balance if we can eat with the seasons. My third thought is movement. Let's be curious with our movement. Movement can bring balance to our health. Maybe when we're feeling an ache somewhere, it just means that there's energy stuck in our body. Because if we're sitting too much or we're doing something too much, we kind of get stuck. And so how about with our curiosity, we try stretching or we try walking? Or why don't we just stand up and swing our arms from side to side? When we do that, we're moving the energy around and we move the stagnation in our body and we create change. And so be curious and try it and see if that ache goes away. And the third thought is our breath. Let's be curious with our breath. When we're feeling maybe scared, angry, or depressed, how about we take a long, deep breath and see what happens? Has the emotion gotten less intense? Let's take another long, deep breath. The long, deep breaths bring balance to our nervous system. Let's be curious and see what happens. Let's see if we can help ourselves with our breath. Like I said, these are just three examples. If we sit for a moment, we can think of lots of ways to be curious. So let's get back to our ABCs. Let's keep life simple. Let's always be curious. And life will flow along with comfort and ease. Have a great week, everybody. That's Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. Thank you very much for joining me on the program today. If you need us, we're here for you. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. See you next week. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. 